Mark chapter one, verse one, in the New American Standard 1995 updated version, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is just the beginning. It just keeps going. The gospel keeps penetrating hearts. It keeps stabilizing generations. It keeps impacting nations. Our nation has been blessed because of the gospel. And as long as it has its honor and priority and distinction, there'll be continued blessing. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you. The King James says, before thy face, who will prepare your way? Now, who is this talking about? John the Baptist, and who is he preparing the way for? Jesus. And John the Baptist was his mother and father, Elizabeth and Zacharias. And something that was amazing that happened to him. By the way, he wasn't just fetal material. He was actually a child in the side of, inside his mother. And that when, when Mary, uh, who was a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, we just celebrated that phenomenal event. He was born in Bethlehem. Zacharias was a, a worker in the temple, a committed and devout Jewish leader, and he was elderly, similar to Abraham and Sarah. He and Elizabeth were barren, but not for long. And God visited them while God was visiting Mary and Joseph, and amazing things took place to get things going at the inception and the beginning of the church. But what had to proceed was a preparation phase. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. The, the Lord at the beginning of this charge in Mark, same thing with Luke, charging uh, the, the humanity, charging the world, charging the universe. Get ready. Something significant is about to take place. And certainly something significant happened. God provided a light in the sky and the the wise men came from the east. They were dispatched well before Jesus' birth. They got there by the time they got there. They got there and coincided with the shepherds that the angels spoke to in the night shift. Everybody was all around the, the, the manger. That's why there's so many nativity scenes that get put out and, and why uh, people now are banning uh, nativity scenes on public property because the devil is trying to get that message out of the eyes and mindsets of people so that there, there can be this dystopian, fallen, lost world similar to the days of Noah. They think it's a utopia, it's a dystopia, meaning it's degrading. It's not evolving, it's evolving. But yet God has called the people of God to understand that just as 2,000 years ago, the birth of a savior came, there will be a second coming. And as there's a second coming, preceding his second coming, there will be a charged group of rugged individuals and a church, churches comprised of, of people that have a sense about the necessity to prepare, prepared for action, prepared for obedience, prepared to pray in season and out of season, prepared to share the gospel like Philip when in Acts, he said, join this chariot ready to share the gospel, ready to give. God loves a cheerful giver. Get ready to go and obey. Here am I, Lord, send me, said Isaiah. Ready to encourage, to have your speech seasoned with salt. Everybody say ready. ready. We need to be vigilant drivers. My dad taught me to be a defensive driver. He beat that drum with me. We lived in Southern California and it was busy, the, the streets were congested, there was famous uh, traffic jams, you know, and we would have fog set in. 
and we lived on mountain scenes where we had to learn how to drive without burning our brakes. And he just said, be a defensive driver. I, I actually am vigilant. I look around, they adjust the mirrors. Uh, I don't want to be sloppy in this regard. And thankfully, the Lord's helped me. Uh, I don't want to be sloppy in how I lead my family. You know, I want to raise my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And in all cases, uh, it, you know, it's been good. And in some cases, it's been hard. However, train them up in the way they should go. And when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And I've watched that incorruptible seed of the word of God penetrate even hardened, hearted soil and turn things around. Like the, even the prodigal son came to himself, came to his senses, got up out of the bad state he was in and walked his way back to the father's house. Hallelujah. And I see the Lord preparing a people. I see people trained for the spirit, trained in prayer, trained to be vigilant, trained to be determined, trained to obey, not to be ashamed, to know what to stand for, to know what battles and fights to pick, to know the boundaries to live within. You know, there's freedom in the yoke. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we have set ourselves in to join with what Jesus wants to do. What would you have me do, Master? I can't go beyond the word of the Lord to do either more or less. There's so much of a barrage in today's uh, self-help, self-actualization world. And it comes upon and alights upon Christian leaders. I found this, we're in our 40th year this month of pastoring in St. Louis, Missouri. And we've had decade after decade at this point of endeavoring to follow after Jesus and to be led by the Holy Spirit, to let his word be the lamp to our feet, the light to our path, and then to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He will make us ready. And this is essentially what I want to get over to you. Better than a little toddler in the hands of a grandparent or a parent. Ready, set, go. That's a fun little example but what we're called to, it's big, it's, it's massive. It's to perpetuate the gospel. It's to communicate hope. It's to bring healing to the hurting. It's to get the message delivered uh, right on time to the population, to reach the nations of the world. God is building, in our, in our case, he planted us in this Chesterfield Valley before anything was really developed. He gave us a prophetic heads up. This is where I want you to go. And he told me years before that even, in 1977, build a home base in Chesterfield from which to reach the nations of the world. Then we started out on Ivy Chapel. We went to the United Church of Christ Ivy Chapel on Woods Mill Road. Then we went over, invited by Captain Ken Reed to the Salvation Army Chapel on West Page next to Cribs Ford City where nothing is impossible. <laughs> then we went over to Craig Road Baptist Church and had a wonderful time at Craig Road Baptist Church. The pastor came and he was happy the building was filled. And then we came over to Marquette High School Gymnasium or a, a meeting area, and then uh, sundry and divers places, gazebos out at parks, uh, lobbies and hotels. And we went from place to place to place to place because we kept outgrowing every place. The Lord at the same time said, I want you to incrementally grow. I don't want you to have a grow. I don't want you to have an artificial growth surge. So the Lord spoke to me. I want this to be steady. I want this to be long haul. I want you to, you're, you're not for this time. You're, you're developing for such a time as this. And I want you to prepare and I want you to have a preparation. 
people would say to me, go over to Seoul, Korea and learn about cell groups. I went to a Houston, Texas meeting with pastors. A guy got up and just beat the drum about home groups, home groups, home groups, home groups. Fortunately, the pastor of that church got up and said, man, that pastor's really excited about home groups, but man, you be led by the Holy Spirit. If God tells you to do home groups, do it. If he doesn't, don't. And it was like, oh, good, you can obey the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do what the popular opinion is. One church, many locations. Well, that's good if God calls you to do that, but if he doesn't, hunker down and do what God's called you to do. In our case, it was make Easter large. Make vacation Bible school large. Make uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor or Dreamcoat or Godspell or something. Make it large. Make it excellent. Make it and include hundreds of people in the church. Give them an opportunity to express their gifts. With Service International, sometimes they're not going to welcome you in unless you have work clothes, the world in a wheelbarrow, going in with with service orientation. It sometimes takes years to earn the right to speak into people's lives. And sometimes it just has to be, they don't care how much you know, they want to know how much you care. And so then there's this spirit of service, service leadership, service orientation. I've heard people say, this is what the new wave is. This is what's happening. I've heard it over and 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 over again. Winds of doctrine, trickery of men, cunning craftiness, voices, which loud ones, which sophisticated ones, which have good articulation, which have good grammar, which can italicize things, which seem so prophetic. The Lord Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We have a more sure word of prophecy. It's the written, living word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will not pass away. It is forever settled in heaven. And the worlds are framed by the word of God. He's prepared everything. It says in Hebrews 11.3, he's prepared everything by the word of God. Our preparation is sure because the head of the church is essentially bringing these things to bear. My responsibility as a pastor, ours to lead is to help you not to be tossed to and fro by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, the trickery of men, cunning craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects in him. We're growing up in wisdom. We're growing up in revelation. We're growing up in maturity. We're growing up in practicality. We're growing up in authenticity. For God does not want us. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. They put on masks. They put on artificiality. They role played. They put on piety like their faith was a show. God wants this to be integrated down into the marrow of our bones. He wants us to be supernaturally, us to be supernaturally natural and naturally supernatural. He wants us to walk by faith. He wants us to laugh, love, serve, give, work hard, play hard, rest well, think strategically, plan according to the word of God, yield to the Holy Spirit, and be ready, live ready, be on fire with love for Jesus, with love for God and love for people, where we believe, God, what you've done in me, I want to see it happen to others, even the people I don't like, even the people I don't agree with, even my enemies. You require me to pray for those who despitefully use me. I refuse to be resentful. I refuse to be bitter. I will not be marginalized. The Holy Spirit will see to it that that I'm ready. He's the one who sanctifies me. He's the one who washes me. He's the one who prepares me. 
The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Say it. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. We are prepared for action. And I think we need to understand One of the great volunteers in our church made a comment. Could it be that with all of our efforts we put into Easter and all of our efforts we tend to put into jump and with all of our efforts we would put into productions and then the Christmas uh, and we've had this entire year in a way almost like a form of rest. And then he said, I don't know that I've done that very well, but we've all, it's almost been like a forced from the head of the church, from my viewpoint, in an aspect of it, let the land rest like so many farmers of old, that if they didn't cycle their crops, then there would be a depletion of the nutrition. So then sometimes uh, the seventh year, the year of Jubilee, they would have to have their land rest in the land in Israel, right? It was a requirement in the law. Well, I believe in God in the New Testament, there's a requirement for us to understand the harmony of seed time and harvest of rest and of of labor and how to understand how to flow in the grace of all of that. I learned, I was a young, enthusiastic leader. I still am enthusiastic in certain terms. He renews my youth like an eagle, so I am youthful. So I really am. I mean, I'm not just saying that. I feel more on fire and more enthusiastic. I feel like that same guy, only I've learned a lot. Praise the Lord. That would, that would be from God. I feel like I'm just getting started. I feel the anticipation of days of new beginnings. I feel a season of refreshing is upon us now. A season of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And that refreshing context is how God wants to use us and utilize us. To come, like it says in Hebrews 4, labor to enter that rest. So that from that position and that posture of resting in the Lord trusting the Lord, we can get a whole lot more done than if we were nervously distracted, anxiously looking about us, you know, longing for something different. I learned not to hate lulls in the the path of my life. I learned not to misunderstand them. I used to hate them. I used to feel like it was lethargy. I used to feel like it it was wrong. As I got, I confused activity with achievement. And I want to tell you right now, church, take a big, deep breath and let the head of the church bring vital healing to the critical parts of your life, your vitals, your systems, spirit, soul, and body. And let God just inform your thinking. Let God minister to you and calibrate you for this transitional phase. Let the master tune you. You know, I I remember... I got an old old bull of a watch from the 1940s, little bitty watch, and I took it to a jeweler, and he had a, he had all these lights, and he had this thing in his eye, and he had these, his tools were super organized. He let me look in the back of his shop. He popped the back of that watch open, which I I feared to tread there. I knew I'd open it, stuff would spring out. I put most of it back. There'd be parts like, oh, you didn't need them anyway, or they would have been there. And then I would, it would have been, you know, you would hear, you would have heard. Uh, stuff like when we shake our heads, you hear stuff. You would have heard that. You would have heard that in the watch. 
but with the master's hand and with his, he even had his desk up where it was right up here, a special desk. So he sat there in this comfortable chair and he sat and he leaned forward and he had, he, he had his sleeves up so he wouldn't move anything. And it was like he was intentional and that whoever the master builders were, they put layers of all these little springs. It wasn't a super expensive watch, but it was a nice wine watch. You know, it didn't have a battery and a simple computer chip in it. It was old school. So he fixed the lever and he fixed the spring and he brought this really light viscosity oil and stuck it in there. And then he, he had these lights on it and, he, and he, he let me watch it. He got a little, little air thing. You know the thing you use with babies to help them blow their nose? <laughs> well, he was using something like that to get the dust out of it. And I don't think it was double duty. This was just, dedi just dedicated to the watch, I'm hoping. But then he, he put the, a new gasket on it, put a, the back on it, sealed it, you know, put the screws in, turned it around, and then he, he watched it for a while. He watched the watch, and then he, he watched with a clock that was based on the atomic clock of, from Colorado, so it would be perfect time. And he just, as a master repairer, he watched. And he realized that it was a little bit too slow. So he popped the op back open again, and he adjusted this little lever that, you know, he knew only, I guess he knew about it. And he put it back together, and yeah, it was just right. He wound it up, handed it to me, and it was ready. Everybody say ready. Set, go, hallelujah. Ready, readiness is God's idea. Readiness is super important. Famous Pentecostal British preacher Smith Wigglesworth always said, quote, live ready. If you have to get ready when the opportunity comes your way, it will be too late. Opportunity does not wait, not even when you, where you pray. You must not have to get ready. You must live ready at all times. So I think, for example, in this season we're in, as we started in this mode where we had uh, to cancel church services live and we yet were in the building preparing, we put a new surface on the altar. We redid it, remodeled it. And we, we put a new surface on the lobby to prepare. We bought a new uh, really nice granite uh, surface so that when we do get to fellowship and put our elbows and our hands on things, we'll have, there's there are like 60 stools out there that you can sit in fellowship. And we pushed out to make more room for increase. We started to prepare for increase when things were ebbing back. And as things ebbed back, it gave us vital time to rush in and start to tune things. We're tuning systems. We're tuning in prayer. I started to tune my own heart from, from, uh, from just constant residual strain that God was, was taking me and bringing me into basically letting the land rest. And I noticed part of the fruit and benefit of it was in my intimacy with the Lord and my fellowship with God. It just started getting brighter and more hopeful in the midst of a global pandemic. How about that? With the enemy meant for harm, God turned around for good. While things were bad, God's goodness is always radiantly consistent. And there he was in his way, uh, better than that master watch repairer, but with that same kind of, he's like the, the, the smith at the forge purifying the silver. 
he, they get these metals and the ore from the ground and they, to refine those silvers, they, they'll put it in a big cauldron under intense heat and the smith will watch. And as it heats up, the ore and the metal and the, and the elements start to separate. And then they put a fluxing agent in, in there to cause the impurities to, to bond to it and connect to it. And then he filters off and pushes away all the dross, all the impurities. And that's how they start to refine that precious metal. And so he is the one that's there purifying, refining, sanctifying, making useful, getting us ready. Hallelujah. We don't like to think we have to go through the fire, but yet it does not mean God puts us through a bunch of hard ordeals to refine us. Refinement comes from the blood of Jesus. Sanctification comes from the blood of Jesus. Purity he saved us based on the grace of God, and so suffering does not refine us further. That's not what the, the melting pot is. What it is is it's his presence and the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, building us, training us, preparing us through the course of our lives from youth, middle, all the way to the elderly. And there is purpose and plan for young people. There are, there are purposes and plans for middle-aged people. And there are dynamic plans for the elderly. And all of us have a context. And all of us have an appointment. All of us have a, a destiny. And even when it feels like it might be delayed, there often and always will always be divine delays. And God will bring, bring refinement to us through those processes. And then when we go through these what seem to be lulls, farmers understand the value of it. Here in the heartland, they know there's winter, spring, summer, and fall, and there are really defined cycles. There are different growth seasons in some of the subtropical and equatorial places. It's different there. But the people, the farm people here, understand the seasons, and they're good with it, and they prepare, they factor it in. And so, when the, so they don't despise winter. They rest and they let the land rest and they know that they'll get to come one day in spring and start to break up the fallow ground and get it ready, make it, make it uh, uh, receptive to seed. Then they'll go out there with their seed sowing and they'll sow it. Then they'll, they'll fertilize it and make it ready. Mm. Jesus is the vine and we're the branches and God is the vine dresser and man is he dressing the vine right now. He is refining the silver right now. He is preparing the way right now. And he's also raising up people like John the Baptist, churches like St. Louis Family Church, like our timing to be a voicing of crying in the wilderness. Get ready. Get prepared. Get your heads up. Listen. Let me tell you something that's amazing. I was talking to my wife about this. During the summer of 1993, when we got into St. Louis Family Church building that we're now in, we had been going at it from 1988 to 1993. In 1992, we found this building was for lease. So we called the owners of the building and we found out that it was for light industrial and office use and warehousing. And that it did not have a, it had a project specific zoning and it didn't include church. So I had to go to City Hall and I had to make an appeal to change the zoning so we can utilize it for church. 
The people who owned the building, they were transitioning out of what they were doing in the business here with making tiles for contractors. They had kilns in here where they made beautiful tile floors and backsplashes and things like that. It was amazing. And I still feel like God has kilns in here and he's making beautiful tiles and flooring and backsplashes through the fires of life and preparing us to be strong and solid. And they made beautiful things in this place. And God's still making beautiful things in this place. And the beautiful Charlie Harris from the Vaderot family and uh, Frank Ganniger, who was a beautiful businessman, and, and George Convy, who was the guy that was the connector, got us together with all of this. And then I went over to Jerry Deppner at Chesterfield and he was hired by the city to say no to everybody. So he said no, and he did a great job. And I'm not disparaging him. He did a good job at saying no. He was excellent. He wasn't too mean. He wasn't too dismissive. I said, Jerry, no offense, but I have 500 people that need a place to call church home. We've been going from place to place, and we, we want to, what, what do I have to do to change the zoning? And he went, and he said, well, you need to get, find precedence in other parts of the world where they've had these industrial spaces converted into church. So we found seven of them. And the team at the time put together, uh, you know, actually foam core boards with, with pictures on them. That, that it was it, this predated a PowerPoint and things like that. And so we put this all together and we had them up on easels and we basically we, we can't, went in to plead our case. It took us over a year, going back and forth to the city planning, to the zoning commission, to so and so forth. The city uh, council members came, a couple of them came, and one lady said, do you really want to make this a church? Because it was a warehouse with kilns and with tiles and with contractors coming and going and dust and boxes. And I stood right over there with her and I said, yes. She was a secular Jewish lady and she later gave her heart to Jesus Christ and got saved right there close to that space where she said, do you really want to make this a church? And I said, yes. She later got saved. She's since passed. Her Christian friend that supported us through it all told me how she got saved. She got saved. Jerry Deppner finally went to the city and I, I, I heard him say, based on all of the Previous meetings and research, uh, it is a recommendation of the staff that we approve uh, St. Louis Family Church using this building as a church. When I, I had been so used to no that I was like, <laughs> like that baby right there. I just did that kind of yelp. They voted, everybody voted aye. The first one was uh, Bill Kirchhoff. He was supportive through the whole thing. Bill and Sandy Kirchhoff are heroes to me. I'll, I will always forever honor them as long as I can my life. They sold us part of the land that enabled us to have an exit to go to Edison Road. They called it the bean field, and we bought a little strip so we could have that to get out of this, onto the street. Isn't that nice? They sat on that eight acres for so many years. I think Bill inherited it from his mother. He took care of it. He's a good steward of it. Sold it to us for a fair price. Who knows what God has planned for us along those lines? Why would God give us 36 acres and in this pandemic be poised in this? I'll tell you why. He said, you'll expand to the right and the left, lengthen your tent cords and strengthen your pegs. You will stretch out and your descendants will possess the nations. That call to build a home base in Chesterfield when I was 21 years old is still upon us. 
And I'm past 28 now, and I'm telling you, it's as vivid and alive now as it's ever been. In fact, I've lived for these moments. 40 years into the ministry is just a turning of a, of a page. And by the way, also, I was, I was later on, we got in the building, and then six months later, we got a phone call that it was going to flood. And I was talking to Pastor John, and we were out here in the foyer. He was standing there with me, and we prayed. I said, okay, God, do you want to part the waters like the Red Sea and have CNN helicopter video it and have it be a sign and a wonder? Or do you want us to evacuate? And then John Moore said, he said, I was standing there and I looked up and said, guys, we need, what did I say? Let's move. <laughs> so we got everything out. I called Pastor Rick Shelton and he canceled his uh, staff meeting and brought a, a bus, uh, one of the old school buses. Every church ought to have an old rickety school bus. And he brought a school bus and brought all of his staff. Jim King brought all of his workers that were out working, and he canceled work and brought them all off, the, uh, on, kept them on the clock, paid all their salary while they were working. And then uh, we had uh, uh, Scott Trout before he was married and a whole bunch of people come in here and get everything out in three hours and 30 minutes. We took every chair out. We took the, I, the, the copy machines out, all the office supplies. We took out all the doors off the hinges. We couldn't pull the carpet up, obviously. We left the speakers up in the ceiling, and then the rest is history. But let me tell you what happened before that. I was stressed out. I was tired. In fact, one pastor said, it's, he's trying to be facetious and funny, but he said, if you get in a building program, you just say goodbye to your anointing for about a year. Well, I, I don't want to accept that, but I know what he means. And I think we all know what that can mean, just the stresses and rigors of life. Worries and cares and, and desire for other things and pressures can, they are, they're designed to choke the word and make it unfruitful. They're, they're designed to eclipse our fellowship with God. The devil's job is to try to disrupt what we have with the Lord because it's such a threat and it's so powerful. Our fellowship with God is our chief commodity in our lives. And this is what we have to fight for. And this is why God will give us rest so we can regain that and those sensibilities and those val that value, that, that original purpose that we conform to his image, that we draw close to him, that it's real for us and that it translates well, that we're not spooky. I've never wanted to be an overly mystical environment that is, is, doesn't relate to people. I want this to translate where it's an extended hand where people can practic in practicality see the love of Jesus in us and then want what we have, they, that, that we store up Jesus and we're prepared to give an account for the hope that's in us. We're ready in season and out of season. The way I got ready, I was tired. I would eat Chinese food and then I would get, MSG would hit me about two in the afternoon. And I'd be like, so I started to jog. I did it out of desperation. I wasn't trying to be fit. I was trying to get the stress out of my life and I guess the MSG out of my liver. But then the Lord had me in a particular, uh, he had me get out on the levee and walk, which was interesting because it was actually don't trespass on the levee. And I felt like, well, God, I, I want you to walk the levee. So now it's a, it's a Katy trail or whatever and you're, they encourage you to walk on it. But I got up there and I walked from the Grailers Farm. I walked all the way past what is now Top Golf, all the way up there past uh, the uh, Boone's Crossing. I walked all the way over up the street. There was hardly anything out here except there was water standing on the other side of this agricultural levee. 
and I didn't, I would look at it and I felt secure. I did, I, nobody was saying that it was going to flood and I would pray. And then I would somehow, I remember crossing and then getting over to this other side and walking along the Bonham Creek praying. And I would walk sometimes five miles or so praying in the spirit, praying summer day. I, when you, the, your spirit prays, the mind is unfruitful. I'm not going to pretend I had anything figured out. I just knew it was one step at a time of obedience. I knew when I found this place, this was the place we had looked at dozens of other places. Uh, uh, with Sol and Gershman up at uh, 141 and 40 in a beautiful movie theater, and I was so excited about it. There was another place where a pastor was trying to lateral the, the torch to me in a church, and God said, don't pray about it. Don't even pray about it. Two hours, I pushed, and I finally I got in the flesh, and I prayed about it, and it created confusion for me for months because God was warning me not to pray about it because it wasn't my destiny. So God, was, I don't, God doesn't want us praying misprayed prayers. We get disappointed because we get in all kinds of whims. So, but yet, here, here's where you don't get disappointed. If you just listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, stay in the word like crazy. Stay in the word. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, handling accurately and rightly dividing the word of God, judging scripture with scripture, looking at the New Testament and the Old Testament, seeing the contrast of the law and then the grace of God in the New Testament, the epistles and who they're written to, Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, the poet, poetry books, look at why Isaiah was pro uh, prophesying. It's quoted right here. You see where things are bumped into New Testament context. You see where things aren't. So you can rightly divide the word so you're not tossed to and fro by the 50 billion voices out there on those platforms telling us how to think. Yeah. My job as a pastor is to make sure you're fortified so you're not tossed to and fro by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, cunning craftiness, and deceitful scheming. And by the way, I have deflected many, many, many opportunities. This opportunity, this opportunity, this kind of idea, this kind of... I've had people get so imposing, this is the new thing, and you're going to be chopped liver if you don't do this. I even remember a guy saying, if you don't do it the way I'm doing it, you're, out, you're not going to be in the revival. I've heard all that stuff over and over and over and over and over again. And I'll tell you what you have. You have pioneer pastors who have been through some things, but we're not um, jaded. We have at times been worn slick. You get tempted to be cynical. You get tempted to yield to hurt. Uh, you get tempted to be numb. But here the Holy Spirit comes along and says, no, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you ready. I feel like jumping down there and running around the building. I feel like laying hands on all of you, but we're, not supposed, we're supposed to do it six feet apart. So consider yourself having hands laid on you. What an interesting time to be a Christian. What an interesting time to be an American. What an interesting time to be the age we are and to be called upon. All the things, your development, the evolution of your life, the things you've had to fight, the things you see in your life you're not happy with, the things you feel good about and the success, they're all translatable into this hour. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. There are youth that need the resource and the skills and the experience of the elders. I have benefited so mightily by my elders. I've always, I'm so thankful for my elders. 
I always have honored him because I knew eventually, I tried to treat him right because I knew eventually I'd be one. <laughs> Some cultures don't honor their elders. And when you see a culture hate babies like they did with Moses or like they did in Jesus, Herod the weirdo, not Herod the great, Herod the sick, or when they started killing off babies during the Jesus movement, are you kidding me? It is what it is. Yes, it is. It's not political, it is what it is. Killing off a generation and a population of human beings during the time of Moses, they wanted to kill off the Hebrew children. That is what it is. But then Moses said, one greater than Moses will come. So Jesus comes, and here John says, prepare you the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Well then, in the end time last chapter, don't you think, like the days of Noah, or like the days of John the Baptist and Jesus, so too it will be in our particular case. Our drummer Scott and Tina, they got to go out on their porch and see that convergence of uh, Saturn and Jupiter. They haven't, that hasn't shown up for over 800 years, but it happened in our lifetime. And I'm not into a bunch of sensory reinforcement. You're, you're not looking at a guy that needs a lot of sensory reinforcement. I watched in my movement people get in confirmations and all kinds of like fleeces and stuff. So I don't even go there. I believe in tokens of God's good and I believe in manifestations and I believe in the supernatural, but I don't base, it's not the basis of my decision making. It's not the basis of my theology. It's not the basis of the culture I wanna have for a church. I want a church that is on fire for God that has, has called and is aware and is poised and is trained and is ready and is stationed in position for a specific responsibility. A set is a group of things that belong together. A set, like a set, a chess set. It's, you know, checkers set. Well, a set is a group of things that belong together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen to what this pastor said in, from Seattle, Washington a few years ago. He said, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has ca been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. My face is set, my gait is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, my guide is reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, turned away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. Hallelujah. I'll close with Joshua chapter 1. I started with, with Mark chapter 1, and I'll close with Joshua chapter 1. And it came about 
that God spoke to him and said, in verse two, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, verse two, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. When I entered into ministry, a lot of people around me at Bible school had conclusions. Oh, I'm gonna go do this, I'm gonna go do that. I'm, I'm called to this, I'm an apostle, a prophet of this, a prophet of that. A lot of prophets and apostles, interestingly. 21 year old, 22 year old apostles and prophets everywhere. You know, it's like, I, it was, I, I'm just trying to obey God. God has a plan. I just didn't want to superimpose anything. It was like, and, and I didn't particularly have a lot of people tell me I'm going to be this and be that. I had to get it on my face, seeking God and over a process to make sure I wasn't being presumptuous. I knew it was important. I knew it had to do with including and bringing a lot of people into, into helping them to realize what God's dream is for them, that it would translate into activating the gifts in others. So then uh, he said, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. Just as I spoke to Moses from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great river toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. God has turf designation. That's why I don't compete with other churches, never have, never will. I don't comparison, draw comparisons. We're not, it's not wise to compare ourselves among ourselves. I don't look around in the contemporary world, and I don't let influence peddlers try to tell me how to function. I get around them, I see where they're coming from, I feel the manipulation and I cut it off. I draw a boundary line around it. I'm not listening to you anymore. It's interesting. I've had to be fierce about this, haven't I? Even recently, I had two different guys try to seduce me with their agenda and it's like, nope. I'm gonna watch what God wants and I'm gonna see what God sees and I want God's will to be done for our church. David said, God called me so I'd be a blessing to others. That's what ministry is. Ministry isn't a profession, it isn't a vocation. It is also, especially, it's not, I'm gonna be a big shot with it. It's for service, period. That's what Jesus came, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. That's why we do Service International. That's why we helped during the flood. That's why we gathered canned food when people were suffering in the inner city. When it bleeds in the suburbs, it tends to hemorrhage in the cities. So we got to do what we can. And we saw what happened to the cities. And God has called us, Isaiah 58, to be repairers of the streets in which to dwell. And so for us, the best is yet to come. In the case of Joshua and Caleb, it wasn't morbid when Moses died any more than it was morbid when Jesus died. It was the beginning of a new beginning. Jesus said, it's good that I go because man, I'm gonna dispatch the Holy Spirit on you. I'm gonna give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Signs will follow you. I'll work with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Hallelujah. 